all the way to Jeremiah, chapter 7 we are in. And my footstool, our cajon, also known as my footstool, is coming up. All right. Very cool. Okay, I'll tap it to just for some extra entertainment. I'll tap the cajon. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 7. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this, the testimony of this man, Jeremiah. And Lord, what a wonderful, wonderful witness he is in our life. And Lord, we want to hear from you this evening. Lord, this morning we were reading Jesus' words, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. A message that is speaking to us today in America, in the United States of America in the year 2012, Lord, and we know that this book as well, this prophet he still speaks by the Spirit of God. And we don't want to miss that this evening, Lord. So we pray that you would just help us, Lord, as we go through Jeremiah. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. And proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, verse 3, amend your ways and your doings and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods in your hurt, to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place and the, and the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. And so Jeremiah, we've been learning about Jeremiah. This is the man, you know, a, an interesting subject is just uh, read the word of God. Who is the man that God chooses? Who's the woman that God chooses? Well, Jeremiah was just a young guy. He was a teenager, probably uh, the least qualified among the, 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 the nation of Israel at that time. There was a whole class of priests that had been trained. There were prophets at the time. But the Lord just takes this young man out of obscurity and he says, you, you, I want to use you. 
And in verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. And the Lord replied to him and said in verse 7, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. And I can't help but each week remind ourselves of this, because in many respects, it's like this is such a word for us today, living in the United States of America, but particularly in, in New England, where many times we are alone in the workplace or in school or wherever, in our neighborhood, even our families. Verse 18 of chapter 1 says, For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land. So he's saying, I'm making you, you, Jeremiah, into a fortified city. A fortified city is a city surrounded by very tall, thick uh, stone walls. And I'm making you into a fortified city, Jeremiah, to go against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you to deliver you. One guy against everybody. And I find this really encouraging that, you know, there are certain times, again, where the Lord is uh, rather, um, not the Lord, Satan is going to lie to you or your own natural reason is going to lie to you. Oh, it's just you. Do you realize it's just you? Could everyone else be wrong and just you right? Come on. Jump over to the other side of the fence. That happens. That's real. And that's what happened to this guy, Jeremiah. But the Lord said, look, just because it's everyone else against you, the Bible says, let every man be, uh, let God be true and every man a liar. And that happens sometimes, that everyone else is wrong. If, it's, if every, what everyone else is saying and doing is contrary to the word of God, that is precisely what it is. <laughs> it's that they're wrong and you're right. And he's saying, I'm going to make you into a fortified city and a bronze wall against these people. So he is called the weeping prophet. And um, of all the prophets, we learn a lot about his personality. And there's so much to learn there. And we're going to speak about that t- this evening more because in the next two chapters, we're going to see Jeremiah's own personality. A lot of these prophets, we really don't know much about their own personality, their own feelings a lot. Not so with Jeremiah. So the Lord tells him in verse 2 of chapter 7, stand in the gate of the Lord's house. So he's supposed to get right in the gate of the Lord's house, of the temple. He's supposed to sit, stand right there in the gate of the Lord's temple. The 17-year-old kid with all these priests walking around with robes and, and uh, long beards or whatever, with all their learning, and start just saying these, these words. Declare them. Say, verse 2, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates. Amend your ways. And that goes for you too, priests. That goes for you, prophets. Oh, what sometimes God calls us to do. I mean, you can imagine him shivering in his boots. Do you really want me to do this? I like Josh Davis's story last Sunday night. He talked about, okay, you're in a, tra- you're in a train in an airport. Talk to those people next to you about Jesus. 
what? <laughs> You're kidding me. And if you'd been in the Atlanta airport, you would understand his story a little better. He got off the train, disobeyed the Lord, repented and said, okay, Lord, give me another opportunity with them. And they sat in another train. And this is, I think it's the largest, most flights go out in and out of that airport than any other airport. So it's gigantic. He got into another train and who's sitting right next to him? Same people. And so then he, he shared with them. And I love that because it really gives you a sense of sometimes the Lord tells you to do like, oh, but this is like Jeremiah. And we'll see. The, Jeremiah is a timid dude. And we will uh, learn that throughout this book. But man, he does it. He does it. And verse 4, he says, do not trust in these lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, to the temple of the Lord. What does that mean? Those are people who say, I, I was born in the church. I was born in the church. How could you question whether or not I am a child of God? I was born in the church, and can't you see this, this, this very large sort of basilica or cathedral or, or, or whatever? And uh, that's what they were saying. Don't trust in the fact that you have a temple and that this temple has been around now for hundreds of years and it's a beautiful edifice. Don't trust in that because that's what they were saying, verse 4 of, of chapter 7 of Jeremiah, this temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Is people still doing that today? I was baptized into the church. Because of the church, I have been justified. Don't believe that's a lying word. That's not scriptural. It's not in the Bible. Verse 5, for if you thoroughly attend, amend your ways and your, de and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or whack, walk after other gods to your own heart, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. That wasn't going to happen. They did not turn. They did not obey Jeremiah. They did not do any of these things he told them to do. And the place was wiped out. But nevertheless, God was faithful. Sometimes the Lord just wants to deliver a word to folks that he knows they're not going to turn um, their lives around, but he still, throughout the Bible you see this, he's still faithful to give them the word. No one's ever going to be able to get before the judgment seat of Christ and said, I did not know you. You did not reveal yourself to me. Never will happen. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, even by nature God is speaking to us. In Psalm 148, it says that the, 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 the moon, the stars, the sun, they cry out uh, about the Lord. Verse 8, behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these, abo those, these abominations. 
There's many different interpretations, actually, of, of verse 10. What it appears to mean when he says we are all delivered to do all these abominations, this is the mentality that I can't help it. It's just part of my nature. You know, what I hear a lot of time in counseling, someone is living in sexual immorality. They're in porn sites every day. God's got to take away this desire from me. I've been delivered to, to this kind of life. Kind of same kind of idea, verse 10. Or there is a drug addiction. And man, the Lord is long-suffering with that type of thing. But please don't say, you know, God's just got to take away this desire. The Bible talks about obedience. Obey. Obey the Lord. Obey Him. And that's what they appear to be saying here. They're doing all this stuff, verse 9, stealing, murdering, committing adultery, swearing falsely, burning incense to Baal. And they, in verse 10, you know, we're delivered to do all these. This is just part of who we are. We, we can't help it. How many people have used that excuse here tonight? I have. This is part of who I am. It's human nature. Well, that doesn't cut it with the Lord. Verse 11, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Now, who quoted that verse? What? Jesus quoted it when he came into the temple. People were ripping other people off. It says, you've made this temple a den of thieves. Behold, I, even I, have seen it, as if we're getting away with anything with the Lord. It's so funny, huh? We think we get away with stuff with the Lord. We actually do convince ourselves. We come into church or wherever, and we've done, we've just, whatever, lived like a dog, and, and, and we think we can come into the church, and, and as if he did not see, he says, no, I even I have seen it. Says the, Lord, says the Lord, verse 12. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these works, says Lord, I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name in which you trust, and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. Now, Shiloh, remember in the book of Exodus, God gave directions to make the what? The tabernacle, which is not to be confused with the temple. When they, the tabernacle was a mobile unit, I guess you could say that. It went all around the desert, uh, and it was the place where the Lord chose to dwell in the Holy of Holies, and... Uh, when they went from the wilderness and crossed into the land of Israel, it settled down in a place called Shiloh. And at Shiloh, there was a high priest called Eli. 
And it was uh, Eli, remember in his old age, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, grew up in the temple and God started speaking to Samuel and Samuel thought it was Eli calling him. No, it was God and the the prophecy that God gave to uh, Samuel to tell to Eli was your your house is going to be destroyed. And because of of the wickedness that was going on, the priests were in the gates of the tabernacle, having sex with the women who showed up and had uh, gave their sacrifices. Uh, they were robbing from the people the best meat of the sacrifices. They were doing it with reckless abandon. And the Lord basically removed the tabernacle from Shiloh, went to the Philistines, and it never returned. And it was more or less sort of wiped out as a place of worship. And that's why the Lord says in verse 12, but now go to my place that was in in Shiloh and see what I did to it. It's the same thing is going to happen to you. Why do you have this example in your life about what happened when people disobey, when my people disobey the Lord, and you're completely ignoring it? Unfortunately, that is the... The nature of sin sometimes, it blinds us, and, and we like to think, oh, we're an exception. <laughs> you know, I know every other person in the history of the world, they've, uh, they've committed this particular sin and that those consequences happen. But for me, it's going to be different. It's the nature of sin. It just turns us into fools. Verse 15, and I will cast you out of my sight as I have done all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. He's talking there of the northern ten tribes of Israel. Remember, there had been a civil war. The north and the south had been uh, separated. And the ten tribes in the, uh, of the north went into full-scale rebellion against God. And the, the Assyrians came and just wiped out. So there was just two tribes left, Benjamin and uh, Benjamin and Judah, and he's like, wait, don't you see what happens to people who do this? Why would you do this? Don't you know the same thing is going to happen to you? Let the word speak to our heart this evening. You know, may we live, correct our behavior by example and not be knuckleheaded and, and fall into the same sin thinking we're different. Verse 18, the children gather wood. Rather, rather go to uh, verse 16. Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor, give a, uh, nor lift up a cry of, or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Now, you have certainly reached a grave, grave place when the Lord is telling his prophet, don't even pray for these people. I, I, I mean, that, that is a grave, grave place. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, um, God said, I look for a man. I just look for one man. who's willing to pray, to stand in the gap, you know, at a, at, a, at a time where the people were in rebellion. But here the Lord's like, don't even pray for these people. They're so hardened. They've been so given. God, God is just sort of give, giving, the, has just sort of giving them over to their own sin. And, and, you know, the Bible does speak about that concept. It speaks about the tender mercy and long suffering of the Lord. 
He suffers long. He sees us in sin and all the consequences that sin brings about, and it causes him to suffer, and it causes him to suffer long. First definition in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which defines love. It says, love suffers long. God suffers long. But the Bible does teach about this concept in Romans chapter 1 and actually throughout the Old Testament that after a while, the Lord just gives up. He says, okay, you've decided. Just go live your own life, your life of sin. And that is the place that they uh, have reached here. Do you, verse 17, do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood. The fathers kindle the fire. And the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. You know, verse 18, when your children are just brought into the sin, that you're in a, the nation is, is in a particularly depraved state when the children are sort of participating sort of in the preparation of the sin. You know, I think of just TV and satellite dishes and, and, and you know, this type of thing. And, of course, not all TV is bad. There's good stuff on TV, but there's so much that's not okay. And we have a nation just bringing our kids, you know, into the, you know, into the sin. You know, go turn on the satellite dish TV, direct TV or whatever for me because I have to, let, let, let's watch this whatever reality show as a family together. They're worshiping at an altar many times, and they're using their kids to prepare for it, and, and the Lord says, this is, he's faithful to say, this is not okay. Verse 19, do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? Therefore, says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, on man and beast, on the trees of the field, and on the fruit of the ground, and it will be, it'll burn and not be quenched. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Remember, keep in mind, the guy is standing in the gate of the temple. He's not out in the wilderness speaking to a few people. He's at the gate of the temple when he's saying all this stuff. People are coming in and out listening to him. Verse 21, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, obey my voice. So they were just coming in and they were just doing the required burnt offerings Religion, writing out the tithe check, you know, showing up and singing in a choir or whatever, doing a religious thing, doing the required prayer time, but they weren't obeying. Obedience is better than sacrifice, says the Lord. Verse 23 again, but this is what I commanded them, saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people. Walk in all the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well with you. 
In Romans chapter, three, it's, uh, Romans chapter 3, after repeatedly saying, Paul says, you're not saved by the law, he, but he, he says at the very last verse, he says, but don't be deceived. The law is holy, righteous, and good. The law is good. The law is really, really good. And it, it, the law was given to us, as it says in the end of verse 23, that it may be well with you so that you wouldn't have get venereal diseases so that you wouldn't be emotionally traumatized because you've slept with, you know, a, different, a dozen different guys or a dozen different women. And you won't be having to live with baggage so that you, your liver, you know, stays clean from alcohol or, or your, your mind from, from drugs. It, it's, it's, God's not a killjoy. He's given them so that it will be well with us. Verse 24, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. There's no such thing, by the way, as staying the same, staying in the same place in the body of Christ. You're either going backward or forward. If you're not going anywhere, it means you're going backward. You've got to move forward. Verse 25, since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt, until this day I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. So I, I, that's a great picture, just God sending out his prophets early in the morning to go out and warn the people. I think of Elijah. Just love that guy. You know, shows up at the court of King Ahab and says, except by my word, it's not going to rain. <laughs> And um, it didn't for three and a half years. And uh, he sent his uh, a prophet, Elijah, repeatedly over Ahab's life, even though the guy was incredibly wicked, dude. He get, repeatedly. And he sent them, I love this picture, daily rising up early and sending them, yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck, which is an expression for stubbornness. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. Wow, just um, not a really encouraging word from the Lord. I'm sending you out to be a minister, and by the way, no one's going to pay any attention to you. Oh, thanks, uh, Lord. But you know, we have to obey him. We really do. If he calls us to be in a workplace where... No one's a Christian. He may tell you, look, no one's going to change because of you, but I want you there. I want you there as a light. I got to tell you, I'm tired of Christians coming up to me and saying, you know, I just can't take it in my work anymore. There's just no Christians there. I got to do full-time Christian work. Please. Uh, you know, the, the, the body, save the body of Christ from you. If, if that's your attitude, don't go into full-time Christian work. You need to first know what it's like to be in the battle. And it's pretty amazing. That's what he, this is what he tells Jeremiah. You shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. Ay, ay, ay. Verse 28. So you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord, their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. I got to tell you, it is so encouraging over the years to see you guys and many, many people who are not here just grow in the Lord. Growing. 
you know, to see some of the folks here who will get called to another state or another country get up here on a Sunday night and say goodbye. And, and, and every time I'm just looking at them, I'm like, this person is so different. When they walked in here three years ago, five years ago, or six years ago, or, or, or even six months ago. And that happens all the time, and that's so encouraging. But I can't even imagine not having that encouragement to encourage me in the ministry of, of being a pastor. The faith that this guy was gifted by the Lord. No wonder he was the weeping prophet. I'd be weeping too, night and day. If I never saw anyone obey anything I said, wow. This is, the, you know, it, it, I love reading about this, Jeremiah, because it, I take my eyes off myself and go, oh, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, you know. But hey, you know, if he calls us into this or calls me into this, we, we have to obey. Verse 29, cut off your hair and cast it away. Speaking about a Nazarite vow in the Old Testament. You could take a Nazarite vow. That's what Samuel did. That's what John the Baptist did. That's what Samson did. Um, actually, they did it because their, their parents uh, put them under the vow, which is a pretty difficult thing when you find out when you're a kid. I'm sorry. I took a vow and you can't cut your hair for the rest of your life. But um, you could also, that, that was the exception. A Nazarite vow is usual, it was usually 15 days, 30 days, 60 days. Paul took a vow in, in the book of Acts. Remember that? He took a vow. And then he showed up at the temple. He cut all his hair off and uh, he did it. And that is, um, that's what it's referring to here. And, and many times it was sort of an expression of grief, almost like fasting and sort of ripping your clothes, the whole image in the Old Testament of, of, of oh, this is such a terrible thing. Sometimes, you know, people took a vow just because, oh, wow, this is so difficult. I'm going to take a Nazarite vow. That's what it's a reference to. And take up, verse 29, lamentation on the desolate heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. Oh, my. Can you imagine if that was the name of your generation? The generation of God's wrath? That's what the name of that generation was. Oof. And it says, take up Lamentation on the Desolate Heights. There's a book right after this called Lamentations, which is written by Jeremiah. For the children of Israel, verse 30, uh, rather of Judah, have done evil in my sight. They have set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name to pollute it. So they just brought stuff right into the temple. Just real, real evil stuff. Now remember, at the beginning of Jeremiah's ministry, Josiah, a wonderful, wonderful king, was the king. And so initially, some of this, a lot of this stuff was heated. J Josiah made sure it was so. Things were taken out of the temple that had just been put in there. I have a friend who showed up in some other state. Uh, someone had rented uh, a church without doing uh, their homework, and he showed up on the day of his wedding uh, to get married, and there was a cross, a Star David, and a yin-yang up in front of the church. And he's like, you got to be kidding me. You know, bringing abominations into the house of the Lord to pollute it, says verse 30. Verse 31, and they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. So this, is, this isn't just some guys playing tiddlywinks with a... Um, a, a statue. You guys don't even know what tiddlywinks are, unless you're over 40. Kelly's 
Wait, wait. Kelly's sh- saying yes, and Josh doesn't know what tiddlywinks are. Okay. We'll ask your wife, you know, after. But, but this isn't just some people, you know, setting up a god and, and, and praying to it in, their, in the privacy of their own home. This is people burning their children. And, you know, people say, oh, you know, the God of hate, the Old Testament. Look at all the stuff he's saying. Come on. They were burning their children. They were sacrificing them to God. You know, the equivalent today, abortion, over a million a year. And it, it is a form of idolatry. It is a formal idolatry. Now, many of, uh, of us in this room, there's an abortion in, 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 you know, in our past. There's grace for that. And the Bible says that God will not remember the sin anymore. The woman uh, who, uh, the adulterous woman who, who came up to um, uh, Jesus, uh, he said to her, she was in adultery, but he says, I'm, I'm not going to condemn you. Where are your accusers? There are none. Well, neither will I. Go and sin no more. However, we do live in a society where this continues to be an idolatrous thing that happens. Same thing going on. The words of Jeremiah speak today. Verse 32 says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury in Tophet and until there is no room. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth. You know, this is a morbid theme. And Sunday nights here are tough at Calvary Chapel because <laughs> we're going through the Old Testament. We just, we're in, in Jeremiah, and it doesn't let up by the, by the way after this, and Ezekiel and Nahum and some of the other prophets. But this was going to happen when Nebuchadnezzar came in there was, and, and destroyed the land and the temple. There were literally corpses throughout the land. Verse 34, then I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth. That means joy. There was a voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. For chapter 8, at that time, says the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of its princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. They shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven, which they have loved, which they have served, and after which they have walked which they have sought and which they have worshipped, they shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on, refuse on the face of the earth. You know, to the Jew, your burial was just a very solemn thing. There were tombs for the princes of Judah, the kings of Judah, many references to that. They were so serious about their burials, if you remember when Saul was killed by the Philistines, and the Philistines wiped out King Saul and his army. Saul was a very, turned into a very wicked king. Some wild men who were actually brave, good, courageous men who Saul had rescued at a time when he was a good man 40 years earlier actually went right into the land of the Philistines, got the body, and brought it back. 
might have been nailed up in one of the temples or something like that of the pagan gods. They, they were very serious about even evil kings having a proper burial. Well, what Nebuchadnezzar did, what the Babylonians did when they came in and destroyed Jerusalem, they, they dug up all these t- tombs, they took the bones, and they threw them all over the place. And the irony was that they were underneath the stars of heaven, those bones, the very stars that they had worshipped. And so God's judgment is always... They talked about poetic justice. You you will see that in, in the Old Testament in many of these verses. But again, guys, gals, they were burning their children. It says of Manasseh, who reigned um, right before Josiah, that there was so much innocent blood in Jerusalem that was spilled by Manasseh from one side of Jerusalem to do another. There's judgment. It was righteous judgment. In the book of Revelation, you know, it says that the angels cry out about the judgments that, that were going out. It says, you know, righteous are all these judgments, the judgment of the Lord. Let's pick up in verse 4. It says, Moreover, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord. He's sitting there in this temple gate. Will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not repent or return? Why has this people slidden back Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they did not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rushes into battle. So they were rushing after their sin. The Bible says that all of us stumble. The book of James says all of us, every Christian, we stumble in many ways. Actually, every day we sin. But a Christian, someone who is living for Jesus, doesn't rush into sin, doesn't rush into it. And that's what is going on here, the, the horse rushing into, I mean, as the horse rushed into battle, they just had become so intoxicated with sin, they were rushing into it like a horse went into battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove, the swift and the swallow, observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? So here's just another thing. You know, we have the Bible. We put it on the pulpit, and it stays there all week in our church. We have this big old Bible. Don't tell us we're not righteous. We have the Word of God. They were saying the same things then. Verse 8, how can you say we're wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look, the false pens of the scribe certainly, the, the, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. And there are so many scribes today, religious people, seminary professors in divinity schools in this city writing, and they have a false pen. They're trying to explain away all the miracles of the Bible. They're trying to justify every form of lifestyle that's wrong, and they're just doing it today. But they were doing it then. Jeremiah is speaking to it. The Lord's always faithful to bring men and women of God 
to speak truth into these things. Verse 9, the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to others, their fields to those who will inherit them, because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely, for they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly. In other words, verse 11, there's a great wound in the land. The job of a pastor, the job of a prophet, the, of a man or woman of God is to heal the hurt. There was a hurt there. The hurt was caused by sin. And it says, they have healed, verse 11, the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. I mean, this is a classic, you know that you will hear from people. We're okay. Everything's okay. There's not going to be judgment. God would never send a judgment. He would never send an enemy to come into the United States and do something to it. He would never send uh, an earthquake or a hurricane or any other kind of natural calamity. Peace, peace. God doesn't do those things. Sometimes in his mercy, he does, and it's it's an act of mercy to turn people back to him. Verse 12, when they were ashamed, when they had committed abomination, no, they were not all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Again, that is a description of a place in a man or woman's life which is a seriously, they, well, they've been given over to sin. Their, heart, their, their, conscience, their consciences have been seared, and they don't even know how to blush anymore. You know, shame, shame, can be a sanctified good thing. Sanctified shame, it's referred to. You know, when we do something wrong and we're ashamed about it, it can be a a holy, a God-given thing. When shame is no more in a person's life, it's an extremely dangerous place to be, the Bible says. And these people, it says they don't even blush Verse 13, I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade, and the things I have given them they uh, shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still, assemble yourselves, and let us enter the fortified cities, and let us be silent there? For the Lord our God has put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. He's trying to coax them. Look, we've sinned. Let's, the, the, he's given us the water of gall to, uh, to, to drink, meaning it's a bitter, a bitter water to drink. Because of our, uh, because of our sin, we, we should be repenting and we should recognize that, you know, what happens when you have like vinegar, the water of gall, you, what do you do? You go, and that's what happens when the Lord convicts us. We go, ooh, how could I have done that? And he's saying, come on, join with me and go, ooh, <laughs> because we, you, we've sinned and they're not having anything of it. Verse 15, we look for peace, but no good came. And for a time of health, and there was trouble. So now he's sort of prophetically quoting them at a time in the future when all after which all this calamity will have happened or was was happening it says we look for peace and and no good came there was going to be a time where calamity was going to come the snorting of his horses was heard from 
Dan, meaning the horses of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, actually, they were God's horses to, that, that were, because many of your Bibles, the his there is a capital H. And God will use an enemy to come in his mercy again to come and, and bring us back to reality and turn us to him. And he did that to Israel here. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones. The neighing meaning the neighing of a horse. Now, last week, I asked someone to neigh. Can someone neigh? No one did it last week. Anyone want to do a neigh? Albert? Do it a little louder. Very, very good. Except they were really strong here. <laughs> Someone was pointing at you, but I, I, I won't uh, say who was pointing at you. I won't tell you that Tanner was pointing at you. Anyway. Um, for they have come and devoured the land and all, all that is in it, the city and those who dwell in it. For behold, I will send serpents among you, vipers which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. And that's what happened in the book of Numbers, if you remember, when people were complaining against the Lord. And what happened? God says, okay, save these people. Put a bronze serpent on a staff and raise it up. And Jesus referred to that in John chapter 3. He referred to that in John chapter 3. Just as Moses rose to the staff in the desert, even as I am lifted up, and men look to me, they shall be healed. They shall be saved. doesn't matter what they've done. doesn't matter how much evil they've done, how much complaining, how much all these sins that have been listed here, idolatry, murder, thievery, adultery, doesn't matter what they've done. You look to the cross and are saved. You look to the bronze serpent and you're saved. And and so interesting here, uh, there's an appears to be an allusion to that. Verse 18, I would comfort myself in sorrow. My heart is faint in me. And so here you see Jeremiah. And it, the God has given him this vision of just the, the nation being devoured. And in verse 18, it says, I just wish I could comfort myself in my sorrow because God has given the, him this vision. Can you imagine seeing a vision of New York City destroyed. It's all the carnage. Just a horror of it. Jeremiah describes that throughout the book of Jeremiah, how he saw that and how terrifying it was and how awful it was, the, the, you know, the judgment of the Lord. Look, we don't need another angry young man or angry young woman getting up on a soapbox and, and, and saying, I told you so, and if you don't repent, you're going to hell. No, we don't need that. We need weeping prophets and weeping prophetesses. And if we don't have those hearts ourselves, we need to pray for hearts like that, that have anguish, not pointing the finger and cursing at how bad the world is, cursing the darkness, the Bible calls it. No, we have to have the, the we're supposed to pray and seek the Lord to have the hearts of, uh, of Je that Jeremiah had. Verse 19, listen, the voice, the cry of the daughter of my people from a far country is not the Lord in Zion, is not her king in her. Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved image, with foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. This is Jeremiah speaking. This is to be our heart. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the Bible says. 
He says he's hurt, he's wounded, he's mourning, and he's astonished. Verse 22, is there no balm in Gilead? Now, this is sort of a proverb. There was a balm, meaning like a lotion, a resin from the tr- a tree in the area of Gilead, which is west of the Jordan, and it had medicinal properties. And he's saying there's no balm in Gilead. Is there no physician there? In other words, the healing and the pain was so bad, there was just no healing there. Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? Verse chapter 9, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears. Now, this is it. Here's the heart that God wants us to have, brothers and sisters, not judging the unbelievers, but having a heart for them, not judging other churches because they're saying this or doing that, but having a heart for them, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might we- that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. This is the heart of a godly prophet. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they're all adulterers and assembly of treacherous men. And and so, just the. He's just overwhelmed at the wickedness around him. He's overwhelmed at two things. One, at the destruction that he sees ahead of him and where they're headed. But also, it just, it just pains him so much to, to be, you know, amidst these people who are so steeped in their sin. And so, uh, but he's being faithful. <laughs> he's being totally faithful to the Lord here. He's... He's, he's at the gate of the temple, and he is he's speaking it. And it's just a real encouragement to see this man of God faithful in the midst of a generation that it may have... It, they were the generation of God's wrath. That was the name of them. Wow. Now, a real interesting historical tidbit here. And I haven't, you know... I wish I had some time to really carefully research all all of this, but um, Jeremiah chapter eight verse thirteen through Jeremiah nine verse twenty three, I understand, is read every year on the ninth of Av. Now that is in somewhere between, depending upon the year, and between July 27th and August 2. And these verses, that starting in 13 of chapter 18, uh, 8, rather, and running all the way to chapter 9, verse 23, are read every year. And it's a day of mourning commemorating when Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed Jerusalem. And, uh, and it's sort of the Israelites, a recognition on their part that it was because of their rebellion that all this came about. And so let's not forget this. Let's read this every year. Now, here's the part that um, I want to do a little bit more homework, but um, did I get a really good source? Um, I, I, I got this from that the same... They, they, they read these verses on the 9th of Av. 
It's a uh, month in the Jewish calendar. And on the ninth of Av, not only was, did Nebuchadnezzar come in and destroy Babylon, but on the ninth of Av, Titus came in in AD 70 and, des- and destroyed the temple, which is pretty amazing that it was the same date, allegedly. In 135 AD, there was um, a rebellion which culminated on the 9th of Av, and the emperor, Roman Emperor Hadrian came in. 580,000 Jews were killed, and apparently that all started on the 9th of Av. In uh, Ferdinand of Spain in 1492, for us, 1492, we know it as Columbus discovering America. For the Jews, they know 1492 is the year that all the Jews were expelled from um, uh, from Spain, and it was a major stronghold of Jews at the time. 200,000 of them were expelled, and I understand the ninth of Av. Treblinka and Warsaw, I understand, the, with all the Holocaust, the things that happened in, in, you know, in those two places, the ninth of Av is when it all got started. It's just really, really odd. And, of course, we don't, when, when, we don't think that kind of stuff is a coincidence. But these, these verses um, are, are, are read on the ninth of Av, just commemorating a day of mourning when uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, came in and destroyed uh, the temple on the ninth of Av. They actually read these as a remembrance. So, uh, we'll, you know, we'll pick this up uh, next Sunday evening. It's so wonderful to know that you know the whole attitude of these uh, of these people, and I, I I think particularly of chapter seven verse ten, where they were saying, you know, he we're delivered to all this to all these abominations. Meaning, you know, God knows this tendency in us to sin. He knows about it. He's the big guy upstairs. He's him and I. We have a connection and. Uh, and, and, and he knows about our tendency to sin, so that's why we're doing it. You know, he does know about our tendency to sin. But the way that we know it is not because of we can just do it and get away with it. We know it because of the cross. He, yeah, he does get our sin. He gets it. And that picture on the cross we were talking about this morning with Jesus beyond recognition at the cross that says he was. He gets it. That's how bad sin is. That was the consequence of it. And praise the Lord, he died for our sin. He was buried. The death could not hold him. He was raised from the dead on the third day. And he was raised to heaven to give us new life. And we were saved not only from, the Bible says we're saved not only from the penalty of sin, but the power of it. And we have the power that we don't have to live this kind of life that is described in these two chapters. It's such good news. That's why they call, the word gospel means good news. That's why it's such good news. We're saved from the penalty and the power of sin. what What a wonderful, wonderful, blessed gospel that is. And, you know, a lot of this, it's, it's really sobering, and, and yet 
we can read this as born-again believers and not be discouraged at all. We can be encouraged that we've been saved from this. Every day in, my devo- in your devotion, I recommend to people, remember where, what you have been saved from. This is what you've been saved from. Jesus saved you from this kind of life. But he's also giving it to us as an encouragement. He said to Jeremiah, don't, don't say you're not going to speak for me because you're so young. He goes, I'll be with you and I'll deliver you. I'll be with you. And what an encouragement, you know, the life of this man. We, um, 